Today on Understanding Immigration, is amnesty infrastructure? This backdoor maneuver, trying to jam an amnesty into this bill, would actually be career suicide for a lot of these individuals in the Senate. And with not a single Republican vote, and a 50-50 Senate, and a razor-thin House majority, the Democrats put more than six million illegal aliens on a pathway to citizenship. And the last time I checked, giving amnesty to illegal aliens has nothing to do with funding the construction of roads and of bridges. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Good morning and welcome to another edition of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennikins, FAIR's Government Relations Manager. And I'm joined today by our research director, Spencer Rayleigh, and our press secretary, Matthew Tregesser. Today, we have a very interesting episode for you. Congressional Democrats are moving forward with a two-pronged approach to infrastructure funding, something that President Biden considers one of his top priorities. Infrastructure funding is actually an issue that has significant bipartisan support in Washington, Uh, Really, the biggest issue between the parties is simply how much money are we going to spend on it and where is that spending going to come from? Uh, So far, a bipartisan group of over 20 senators recently introduced a framework for a bill that is going to move through regular order in the Senate and the House. That bill addresses actual infrastructure funding for things like dams, roads, bridges, harbors, and airports. Uh, President Biden has already come out and said that he supports this bill. Uh, This bipartisan framework calls for about $579 billion in new spending over five years and about $1.2 trillion uh, in total spending over eight years. Uh, The agreement calls for the funding to be paid for um, by using unused COVID money uh, and also by um, strengthening the enforcement of tax laws. So in a normal world, this would be enough. $1.2 trillion in infrastructure spending over eight years is a pretty massive bill. Yet, congressional Democrats are simultaneously drafting a massive separate bill through the process of budget reconciliation. And worse, they plan to use this reconciliation bill to amnesty nearly 6 million illegal aliens. This is somewhat of a tricky subject, this idea of budget reconciliation and how immigration functions into it. So, Spencer, I want to bring this to you to briefly uh, explain what this process is. Thanks, Preston. So, reconciliation is a method of legislation used by the House and Senate to make decisions related to spending, taxes, and budget deficits. And... A very general explanation of the process is as follows. The Senate and the House both adopt a budget resolution that instructs certain committees to develop legislation that covers certain items on their budgetary wish list. The committees create the legislation by a specified deadline that they're given and then send it back to the House and Senate, who then votes on it uh, on their specific bills via expedited process. The House and Senate must then resolve any differences between their two bills because you have one from the House, you have one from the Senate before they can cast a final vote on the measure. And this is where things often tend to get interesting. And it's especially important because in the Senate, a member can challenge really any part of the bill by citing something known as the Bird Rule, which is essentially just a list of procedures and rules for what can and cannot be included 
in a bill that is going through the reconciliation process. Uh, one really relevant rule under the, the whole bird procedure is that whatever is included in the measure must be germane to the overall bill being considered. And the Senate parliamentarian, a supposedly nonpartisan referee of the whole process, must then rule on whether or not that part of the bill is directly related to the overall bill being considered. And we might remember this uh, from back in February of this year when Senate Democrats tried to add a $15 federal minimum wage to the COVID relief bill that was being considered. And the Senate parliamentarian ruled that this doesn't have anything directly to do with the COVID relief bill, therefore it can't be included. It has to be passed via uh, a method of non-reconciliation or else a bill has to be more related to a minimum wage. Now, reconciliation is important for what we're talking about right now because it doesn't require 60 votes in the Senate for final approval like typical legislation does. Instead, it requires just a simple majority in both the House of Representatives and in the Senate in order for it to be sent to the president's desk for a signature. And right now, of course, the Senate is comprised of 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats. So if the Democrats can unify behind this issue, they can, at the very worst, ensure a tie vote. And in the case of a tie, of course, the vice president, Kamala Harris, would cast the deciding vote, and she would assuredly cast that deciding vote for the Democrats. You know, this isn't necessarily a new thing. It's it's happened a number of times in the past. You know, for example, the, the major 2001 and 2003 Bush tax cuts uh, were passed via reconciliation, as was Obamacare in 2010 and the Trump tax cuts in 2017. And like I already mentioned, it occurred earlier this year to pass that massive uh, COVID funding bill in February. So kind of in summary, Democrats are wanting to take on amnesty and attach it to a budget bill that really has nothing to do with immigration at all. The bulk of this bill, like you mentioned, Preston, is about infrastructure. And the last time I checked, giving amnesty to illegal aliens has nothing to do with funding the construction of roads and of bridges. So hopefully, the parliamentarian, before we even get to that point, the parliamentarian will kill any amnesty provision that is included in this bill. But if they, for whatever reason, put something funny in their cup of coffee that morning and ruled that amnesty was somehow germane to the funding of construction for roads and bridges then it would only require all 50 Democrats plus the Veep to unify and vote yes on the measure in order for it to be sent to the president's desk. And that's that's a uh, kind of alarming prospect, even if it is or isn't likely to happen. So, you know, maybe Preston, I'll go ahead and kick this back to you. You can kind of explain the political implications of this being considered by the Senate. Right. So, again, like you mentioned, within the infrastructure element um, the, in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which again is separate from what we're talking about today, um, the bill that we're talking about today is being drafted by the uh, Senate Budget Committee Chairman, um, no other than Bernie Sanders, the independent from Vermont. Um, and he is the one that is drafting this um, with the other Democrats on his committee. And on the evening of July 13th, uh, he and the Democratic senators that were working with him noted that they had agreed to a package totaling about $3.5 trillion. So 
in this bill, in a, you know, which comes, which brings up this three point five trillion, Democrats want to address a number of progressive and and far left wish list items that could never pass the sixty vote threshold um, required for legislation in the Senate. This includes items on climate change, uh, education reforms, um, raising taxes, expanding expanding Medicaid, and immigration. And so, Matthew, I want to now bring you in to kind of talk about some of the immigration changes that are being proposed for this bill. And and I want to emphasize the text has not been released yet. This is based off of what has been said by the senators themselves who are crafting the bill, what has been um, reported in in the mainstream news. Um, so could you just kind of uh, explain what is go- what is supposedly going to be in it and then also explain, you know, why this is such a, a terrible idea to move immigration changes uh, through the Senate in this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there would definitely be some radical and absurd changes with this. Um, as you mentioned, there's only been kind of drafts of this proposal, so nothing is finalized now. But as you mentioned, Bernie Sanders, who is the Senate Budget Committee chairman for this and has a lot of influence, he proposed legislation that offered multi-year pathways to permanent legal residency and even potentially a pathway to citizenship uh, for a number of legal alien groups in our country. And so these include people who are brought illegally to the U.S. as children, also known as dreamers, uh, people who have fled uh, natural disasters or you know civil wars or violence like that, also seen as uh, temporary protected status holders. Uh, essential workers are also part of this plan. You know, this is a very broadly defined group. I could think of pretty much any job that would qualify as essential. Um, and then also farm workers. And yeah, so it covers, you know, a wide range of different illegal alien groups in this country. And also in this plan is $126 billion for processing immigrants for legal status. Now, the Center for American Progress actually estimates that this would affect roughly 6 million illegal aliens in our country. You know, it doesn't cover the entire legal alien population, but that's still a significant portion. Um, and it's really just an unacceptable thing that, that would happen right now. And, you know, I will have to say, you know, these changes are significant. They shouldn't be ignored or, you know, downplayed. And let's not forget the timing for this couldn't be worse. You know, we're in the middle of a historic border crisis. We've talked about this in pretty much every episode, but it hasn't gone away. It hasn't improved. Uh, We're seeing record numbers of legal alien apprehensions at our southern border, 180,000 in May, which is the latest data available, the most amount for a month in 20 plus years. Uh, The number of of children in federal custody who have crossed uh, the border unlawfully remains at record highs. And so, you know, when you propose and pass legislation like this, like an amnesty, it basically tells people, hey, if you cross the southern border or any border in our country unlawfully, you will be rewarded. And so this is only going to serve as another magnet, exacerbate what we're seeing already at the southern border. The timing couldn't be worse. It's inconceivable that this is even a priority for them at this moment in time. And let's not forget, this is an infrastructure bill, okay? This needs to be focusing on infrastructure projects that these states all around the country heavily need. We've explored this a little bit, just, you know, looking at different states and looking at what, you know, looking at their road, uh, bridge, dam, even like drinking water conditions and their and their infrastructure. And they're all very poor, you know, according to uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers. They do a report card, you know, literally analyzing all these uh, infrastructure items in these states. And most of these states are receiving C, D grades, almost failing grades. Mm-hmm. And these states really need this money 
And, you know, you would think that if an amnesty gets squeezed in here somehow and, you know, we're legalizing six million illegal aliens, that's going to require money. Mm -hmm. uh, illegal, illegal immigration already costs our country $116 billion annually. Uh, and so, you know, I would imagine that some of this funding would probably be allocated to this amnesty and, you know, maybe disappear from projects that are actually needed statewide. Well, it's funny because that was originally the uh, argument for the reconciliation bill was, well, we have to negotiate with the Republicans because, you know, they they want to have a smaller overall number and they want it to be entirely paid for with either, exi you know, existed funding, you know, no raised taxes, that kind of thing. And so the Democrats said, OK, we'll do that. And then we will bring up the rest of what we wanted in physical infrastructure mm -hmm. through the reconciliation bill, which could include raising taxes, you know, things of that nature. And then it just turned into this, uh, you know, this chorus of people saying, well, if we're already doing that, let's throw everything else in there. Let's, you know, this obviously isn't um, pertinent to immigration per se, but, let you know, let's put in the education reforms that we've wanted for 20 years. Let's put in right. the climate change yeah. Um, you know, bills that we've wanted for 20 plus years. And so it's it's fascinating to see how quickly Democrats from all corners of their party came in and said, wait, let's stuff as many of our priorities as we can in this bill. Because um, I think a lot of them recognize that after 2022, there may not be you know, three, you know, right. they might not have the House in the Senate anymore. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what they're doing with this uh this what's supposed to be a budget bill is turning it into an omnibus mm -hmm. bill exactly. for their entire wish list, their entire platform essentially is just one avenue to put hopefully everything they want into a single bill and then pass it by a simple majority, which is really kind of alarming. And, you know, Matthew, like you mentioned, this was supposed to be a bill that finally fixes some of the major infrastructure problems we have in this country. And I think just kind of a unfortunate representation of this entire process. You can think of just, just a couple of weeks ago here in D.C., a bridge, literally a pedestrian bridge, literally collapsed onto the freeway, killing a couple of people. And literally while that was happening, you have Democrats in Congress saying, hey, let's minimize how much we're putting into you know, fixing bridges, fixing roads, and instead give that money to a process to legalize millions of illegal aliens. And let's be honest, I know the number we're seeing that's floating around is six million but like you mentioned matthew based on this idea that we're going to offer amnesty to quote essential workers if you look at some of the figures being tossed around there are a number of groups that claim as many as 80 percent of illegal aliens working in the united states right now work in a essential field and you know, that ranges anywhere from uh working a drive-through at McDonald's to restocking shelves at a Walmart. So yeah, Grubhub delivery drivers, <laughs> exactly, yeah, anything. Exactly. Um, they're not all white lab coat workers, you know, creating new vaccines to to combat COVID and, you know, other other major uh, occupations like that. But in addition to that, most of these organizations estimate the total illegal alien population as being lower than what we estimated mm -hmm. to be here at FAIR. And then they're often not considering family members who are either going to be offered amnesty or else they're going to be sponsored and receive a visa at some point in addition to these workers. And then they're going to sponsor their family members to come to the United States and so on. So it's going to have a, a very broad effect for much longer than 
even just, you know, I hate to call it limited because it's not limited. It's, it's at least six million individuals and probably a lot more. But it's just going to keep on having an effect on the American public for years, for decades to come. And it could completely change the social fabric of this country. So from a timing perspective, uh, this is all going to be happening very quickly. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, you know, want to get this done before the August recess begins. Uh, and, and railroading the country by forcing an amnesty through the reconciliation process is really something else. Um, there are really three possibilities that can happen at this point. Um, the first is that the sentiment parliamentarian, uh, Elizabeth McDonough, rules that the immigration provisions violate the Byrd Rule. Uh, this would prevent any amnesty from becoming a part of the reconciliation package. And from Fair's perspective, this is the best case scenario. Um, this would cleanly strip the the amnesty mm-hmm. out. You wouldn't be going back and forth about, oh, different numbers can go in. It, a clean strip out from the parliamentarian is a best-case scenario. Uh, and then there's the worst-case scenario, which is that um, she rules that the amnesty can be included and all 50 Democrats vote in favor of the reconciliation package. With that, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris casts the 51st vote. The House of Representatives then keeps their caucus together and passes the Senate bill um, with very few, if any, Democratic defections, uh, and then eventually goes to Biden's desk for a signature. And with not a single Republican vote and a 50-50 Senate and a very in a razor-thin House majority, the Democrats put more than six million illegal aliens on a pathway to citizenship. Um, right under the nose of the American people just before an election year. Again, that is a lot of heavy lifting for the Democrats, but they've, they have done it before. They did it with Obamacare. Um, even members who knew that they were going to lose by voting for something like that, they may say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. This is a, a once-in-a-generation vote. It's not unthinkable that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer could keep their caucus together and get it done. Um, but... There is a third option. Uh, In this scenario, uh, the parliamentarian rules that the immigration provisions can be included, but one or more Democratic senators either demand that it be stripped from the bill or ultimately choose to vote against the bill on the floor. Uh, Let's remember, there are 14 Democratic senators up for re-election in 2022 Um, who may choose to vote in favor of the regular bipartisan infrastructure bill that Mm -hmm. that doesn't have any of the the crazy amnesty stuff, but then maybe will not want to vote for this reconciliation package. For instance, I can think of Senator Mark Kelly, who narrowly won in Arizona, a border state. He is up for re-election in 2022 to fill out the rest of that term. Yeah. Um, And Arizona, just the polling out of there, you know, they are, are not thrilled with Biden's immigration policies. Immigration in a state like Arizona is a huge issue. You know, is Senator Kelly really going to vote to legalize six million illegal aliens shortly before his reelection? In addition to everything else that Senator Bernie Sanders is going to write into this bill as the budget chairman. Um, Another one is, is Raphael Warnock. Uh, another senator up for re-election in traditionally red Georgia, 
Is he and, and also he's in a similar situation where he's filling out the term. Right. Is he going to do the same thing? And then there's on the other side, outside of the reelection angle, um, there are traditionally more centrist Democratic senators, um, such as Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. You know, one or both of them could t- could decide to vote against the reconciliation package. Senator Manchin, in particular, is in a unique situation. He represents a state that uh, former President Trump won by 40 points, uh, and he is up for re-election in 2024 in a presidential year in a state that is now one of the reddest in the country. It is so red that the current governor, Jim Justice, became a Republican while he was an incumbent Democrat. So as this battle is really heating up in the Senate, uh, I think we can all expect there to be a lot of attention on Senator mm-hmm. Manchin out of West Virginia to see what what he's thinking and where his priorities lie, because it, it really might come down to him. Right, right. And and honestly, with uh, Manchin in particular, if he were to vote for this, it would be political suicide. So the decision he's making right now and has to make would be, um, do I want to continue my political career or am I happy with one more Senate term and retire and have my entire state uh, disapprove of what I did? So, you know, I think you're right with, with Manchin especially. That's that's where a lot of the pressure and the attention is going to be. But, you know, you've also you mentioned uh, Senator Sinema, who has made a real name for herself of being kind of the moderate voice of reason in the Senate. So is she going to want to undo that goodwill by voting for something this radical. You know, we we already saw her lose favor with the far left earlier this year by voting down a couple of their favorite pieces of legislation. So it, it's really interesting. And really what it's I think it's going to expose is to what degree do Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have their thumb on the entire their entire caucus in the House and the Senate. Like, are they able to hold unity to such an extreme degree that their senators will essentially commit political suicide in order to vote with uh, with their party? Or is this possibly even going to be a situation where they're okay with uh, letting some of these at least most extreme things in this package go by the wayside in order to kind of save the broader perspective. Because again, this this is really what it comes down to. Are they willing to sacrifice, you know, possibly even the entire infrastructure package, but at the very least, you know, all of these reconciliation items in order to try to stuff an amnesty through? You know, it's a question that Democrats need to be asking themselves. Right. And, and I will say, I think that I, I do not envy Chuck Schumer in this situation. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Nancy Pelosi has a better track record of keeping her caucus together. And I, I also do think there is a sense that no matter what the House does, it will probably flip in 2022. That is not necessarily the case in the Senate. The Democrats True, yeah. can still keep the Senate. But Chuck Schumer does not have this reputation of keeping his caucus together through thick no. and thin the way that... Um, Mitch McConnell does on the Republican side. Um, And so I think he is in a very interesting situation where, of course, I do think Chuck Schumer would love for this to be included in the bill. But like you said, Spencer, is he going to sacrifice the chance to keep the Senate and Democratic hands after 2022 over one wish list item in an otherwise massive reconciliation bill? It 
Exactly. It's, it's an and, interesting question. And it's important. I know I know I've seen some people say, well, if they're going to lose the house, you know, what difference does it make? You know, of course, right now the house has it's a tiny buffer, but it's enough of a buffer that even if one or two house members would flip on this, the bill would probably still pass. But again, thinking in terms of the long game, if you lose the house in 2022, Democrats would really like to hang on to the Senate. Um, because again, if it's if it's going to be a razor thin margin in the House, you might be able to pass at least compromised versions of some some bills that make it through the Senate. Put some pressure on Republicans looking forward to the 2024 elections. But if you lose both the House and Senate, you're not going to have any of these provisions even come up really in either either House of Congress, and it's just going to be gridlock for the rest of you know the presidential term. So it's it's really interesting, you know, from a strategy perspective as well for Democrats, and it'll be interesting to see if what they end up doing. Yeah, just kind of sum up here. I mean, I, I just think that this backdoor maneuver, trying to jam an amnesty into this bill, would actually be career suicide for a lot of these individuals in the Senate. I mean, we kind of talked about it, but I mean, think about how this would look look to an everyday voter, someone who's a, uh, an American who's following, you know, politics. I mean, by doing this, you are not only, you know, getting around the traditional legislative process and, you know, kind of opening this up to both chambers and letting the, the public, you know, have a say in, in what, you know, how they, how they react to certain legislation, but also think about, like, this is not just like a small issue. This is immigration, which covers and really touches almost every single component of our American society today. This is not like a small little thing that, well, we'll just you know, minimize the impact it's going to have. It's going to be a, a large impact. And we've talk, talked about already, you know, the ramifications of an amnesty of, of this size and the fiscal impacts even. Um, but I, I just think that it, it sets a, a terrible precedent and it really blows up longstanding Senate rules that were never envisioned to be, you know, exploited like this. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think, Matthew, that's probably as good a point as any to end on today. Um, so for our listeners at home, we, we hope you learn more about the reconciliation process and how it is currently being used to potentially amnesty 6 million illegal aliens. Uh, for more information on, on this topic, we really encourage you to visit our website, fairus.org, as well as our blog, immigrationreform.com. Uh, a lot, we're, we're putting out a lot of information on this topic um, because it is such an important uh, issue that is facing the Congress right now and that, it, the Ameri- and that it's facing the American people. If you enjoy Understanding Immigration, uh, we hope that you will subscribe wherever you find our podcasts. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.